1: Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com.
0: Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson. And I'm Holly Fry. We pretty recently did two episodes on Bayard Rustin. And in those episodes, we talked a little bit about conscience objection to military service. Fire Reston was a Quaker, and because he was a pacifist, his conscience objection to war also evolved to include an objection to conscripting people into the military. So at one point, he had actually registered as a conscientious objector, which meant that if he had been drafted, he could be assigned to alternate non-combat service. But after this evolution in his views, he instead rescinded his registration and went to federal prison instead. Some of the response that we got to that episode moved today's topic farther up ahead on my short list of subjects. My short list is like 50 things long. Yeah, my short list whole, is,
1: is, has a very similar yeah, number. It's short the whole, with the air quotes. Oh, yeah.
0: It's a whole year worth of podcasts. Yeah. Uh, So it it moved this topic ahead in that in that short list. Uh, Desmond T. Doss was also a conscientious objector, but his choices relating to this objection took a really different form from Byard Rustin's. Doss did serve in the military in a non-combat role, and he was the first conscientious objector to be awarded the Medal of Honor. So today we're going to talk about him, as well as a little bit about two other conscientious objectors who have also been awarded the same honor.
1: Before we get into Doss's story, we're going to level set a little bit with a look at some of the history of conscience objection in the Western world. Doss and both of the other men that we're going to talk about were from the United States. But conscience objection in general is something that exists in a lot of other nations as well.
0: So although the basic idea is a whole lot older, the term conscientious objector seems to have been coined sometime in the early 19th century to describe a person who refuses to comply with a requirement because doing so would violate their conscience. So this term has been applied to all kinds of requirements related to lots of different services and fields and circumstances. This includes medicine and law. But today we are really sticking to the context of conscience and
1: military service. Issues of conscience objection typically only come up when military service is mandatory in some way. This was true of the person typically cited as history's first conscientious objector. That was Maximilianus, who was the son of a Roman army veteran. He was required to join the military when he turned 21, and this was back in the year 295. Maximilianus refused, citing his Christian beliefs as his reason for refusal, and he was beheaded for doing so. Historically, conscience objection to
0: military service has usually not always been connected to pacifist religions. And this meant that in Europe, conscience objection became a lot more common following the Protestant Reformation. After the Reformation, the number and focus of religious denominations became a lot more diverse and a lot more people began began to choose which faith to belong to, rather than following a state-sponsored or nationally consistent religion. So Mennonites, for example, were exempt from mandatory guard duties because of their pacifist beliefs during the Dutch Wars of Independence in the
1: 16th century. Standards and rules about how to to handle conscience objections also spread along with conscription into standing armies in Europe following the French Revolution. Nations saw a need to establish and maintain a standing army, but they also saw a need not to force their citizens to violate their religious principles in doing so.
0: It was really the 20th century before conscience objection sort of coalesced into an anti-war movement strategy. That was when people really started to describe themselves as conscientious objectors rather than describing conscription or military service or a specific war as something that was against their religion. And the idea that someone could have a conscience objection to war personally without being without it being based in a very specific organized religion started to become more common around the First World War
1: as well. And at the start of World War I, many European nations and the United States added specific conscience objection rules to their conscription policies, in part because of advocacy on the part of pacifist religious groups. When World War I ended, most, but not all, European nations ended their conscription programs, which temporarily tabled the issue of conscience objection.
0: When conscription started up again, before and during World War II, a lot of nations again offered alternative service to conscientious objectors, although people who felt like their conscience wouldn't allow them to support the war in any way, even if it were in a non-combat role, still usually wound up being sentenced to time in prison.
1: Today, many nations around the world view conscience objection as a fundamental human right protected by international law. The Universal Declaration of Human Rights was adopted by the United Nations General Assembly on December 10th of 1948 in the wake of World War II. Article 18 of that declaration reads, quote, Everyone has the right to freedom of thought, conscience, and religion. This right includes freedom to change his religion or belief and freedom either alone or in a community with others and in public or private to manifest his religion or belief in teaching, practice, worship, and observance.
0: Article 18 of the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, which was adopted in 1966, builds on this idea further. Part one of that article we is, uh, is really similar to what Holly just read. And then it continues, two, no one shall be subject to coercion, which would impair his freedom to have or adopt a religion or belief of his choice. Three, freedom to manifest one's religion or beliefs may be subject only to such limitations as are prescribed by law and are necessary to protect public safety, order, health or morals or the fundamental right and, re- and freedoms of others.
1: Although this Declaration and Covenant don't specifically mention conscience objection, many nations have interpreted conscience objection as an aspect of the freedom of thought, conscience, and religion. Also, the United Nations Commission on Human Rights, which was replaced by the Human Rights Council in 2006, has issued a number of other declarations that do specifically address conscience objection, Although these aren't legally binding among member states, they spell out conscience objection as being part of the fundamental human right to freedom of thought.
0: The first of these was Resolution 1987-46, which was passed in 1987 with 26 votes in favor, 2 against, and 14 abstentions. The following year, the Commission on Human Rights issued Resolution 1988-77, specifying that everyone has the right to conscience objection and calling on states that don't have conscience objection policies to develop them in a non-discriminatory way. A number of other resolutions upholding the right to conscience objection have followed since then.
1: Not every United Nations member state has agreed with those resolutions or with the interpretation that conscience objection is a fundamental human right. For example, Singapore drafted a letter to the commission in 2002 that was co-signed by 16 member states. Those include Bangladesh, Botswana, China, Egypt, Eritrea, Iran, Iraq, Lebanon, Myanmar, Rwanda, Singapore, Sudan, Syria, Thailand, Tanzania, and Vietnam, stating that they, quote, "...do not recognize the universal applicability of conscientious objection to military service." And, of course, not every nation on Earth is a member state of the United Nations.
0: There are so many nuances to all this from an ethical and moral standpoint. The decision to object or not to object is an incredibly personal one. And if conscience objection is a fundamental human right, then that means that people who do serve in the military are fighting to protect the right not to, whether they agree with the existence of that right or not. And there have also been lots of times in history when the idea of conscience objections has become just incredibly divisive. And the most obvious is probably during the Vietnam War. All of that is really outside
1: the scope of our show today, but we would be remiss if we did not at least acknowledge it. So for Desmond T. Doss, the decision not to fight was not actually even something he thought of as a conscience objection. He actually preferred to be called a conscientious cooperator. And we're gonna talk about him after a brief word from one of our sponsors.
2: Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Desmond T. Doss was born in Lynchburg, Virginia, on February 7th, 1919. His mother worked in a shoe factory and his father was a carpenter, and their family were members of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. In their home, they had a framed poster that displayed the illustrated Ten Commandments in the Lord's Prayer. And the illustration of the sixth commandment of thou shalt not kill was of Cain, having just killed his, his brother
1: Abel, from the book of Genesis. This image had an almost visceral impact on the young Desmond. He was appalled at the idea that one brother could murder another. And he also believed that bearing arms was a sin against God. In April of 1942, Dawson enlisted in the Army
0: for World War II. Although he was designated as a conscientious objector, he didn't actually have an objection to serving, as long as he didn't have to kill anyone or carry a weapon and could observe the Sabbath each Saturday. To reconcile his service with his faith, Doss became a medic. Being a medic would let him help people rather than harm them, and he didn't have an objection to doing actual medical work on Saturday since, in his words, quote, Christ healed on the Sabbath.
1: Even so, Doss faced harassment and derision from his peers while they were in training. In addition to his religious refusal to carry a weapon or do non-medical work, like participating in drills on Saturdays, he continued his practice of devotion and prayers. He was also a vegetarian for religious reasons. At one point, his commanding officer attempted to have him discharged from the army on the grounds that he was mentally ill. Doss's response, quote, I'd be a very poor Christian if I accepted a discharge, implying that I was mentally off because of my religion. In the end, though, Doss completed his training
0: and was deployed with the 307th Infantry, 77th Infantry Division. He left for Guam in the summer of 1944, and he served as a medic both there and on the island of Leyte in the Philippines, earning the Bronze Star for his
1: heroism. In the spring of 1945, DAS was part of the Battle of Okinawa, which stretched from April 1st to June 22nd of 1945 and pitted the U.S. and its allies against Japanese troops that were deeply entrenched in caves, tunnels, and other cover. DAS's unit was on the 400-foot-tall ridge at Maeda in escarpment when a Japanese force staged a counterattack on Saturday, May 5th of 1945.
0: Doss was the only medic with them on the escarpment, and while some of the American force was able to retreat back down, a lot of the men who were wounded were stranded on top of this ridge and pinned down under fire from the Japanese force.
1: Doss remained with the wounded men, and he rigged a sling to evacuate them one at a time down the face of a cliff using knots and techniques that he had learned as a youth when working in a flood rescue. He used a tree stump to anchor his sling. He loaded each wounded man into it, and he lowered them 35 feet to safety on a protected ledge below. He did this over and over, while under fire, until every man was down, and then he lowered himself. His commanding officer wanted to credit him with saving 100 men's lives that day. He said it was only more like 50, and they eventually compromised at 75.
0: His heroic efforts to save people's lives did not stop there, though. He basically continued to rescue men from under fire repeatedly, including carrying people to safety while being fired upon for pretty
1: much the whole next week. On May 12th, he was injured by a grenade and had multiple shrapnel injuries to his legs. Although another medic was nearby, Doss cared for his injuries himself for five hours rather than having the other medic risk his own safety and come to help. Then, when Doss was finally evacuated, he saw another soldier whose need he thought was greater. So he got off the litter he was being carried on and asked the medics to take care of that other man instead.
0: Then, while he was waiting for them to come back for him, he was struck in the arm by enemy fire and sustained a compound fracture. And possibly the only time in his life that he ever handled a weapon, he made a splint for himself out of a rifle stock and then crawled to an aid station 300 yards away with one of his arms broken and splinted.
1: I just stand in awe of all of this. I can't even grasp the fortitude a person has to have. Which is why he earned the nickname, the Wonder Man of Okinawa.
0: Desmond T. Doss was one of the men awarded the Medal of Honor by President Harry S. Truman on October 12, 1945. Doss had been a private when he took these actions that led to this recognition, and he was a corporal when it was actually awarded to
1: him. His injuries from the war, however, were extensive, and he needed ongoing medical care, and he eventually lost a lung to tuberculosis. He spent about six years in hospitals trying to recover, and he had planned to go to a trade school and become a florist, but the extent of his injuries and illnesses made that impossible. He devoted most of his life instead to religious work, and in 1976, he suddenly lost his hearing. In 1991, Doss'
0: first wife, Dorothy, who he had married in 1942 before leaving for the service, died in a car accident. He remarried about three years later, and his second wife, Frances, was still living when Doss died on March 23, 2006, at the age of 87. In
1: 1987, he said in an interview, quote, I wasn't trying to be a hero. I was thinking about it from this standpoint. In a house on fire and a mother has a child in that house, what prompts her to go in and get that child? Love. I loved my men and they loved me. I don't consider myself a hero. I just couldn't give them up, just like that mother couldn't give up the child. For all of his life, he credited God with his survival during the war. After another brief sponsor
0: break, we will talk a little bit about two other conscientious objectors who have also been awarded the Medal of Honor.
1: So, we have talked about Squarespace before on the podcast. Both Tracy and I use it. I have my personal sewing blog website there, and I love it. It's super easy to use. You can create your Squarespace website with a simple, intuitive process. If I can figure it out without much issue, I guarantee you can as well. And you can add and arrange your content and features with just the click of a mouse. If uh, you want a free custom domain that is also available, Squarespace also makes it easy to add a domain to your site. So, If you have already purchased one through another provider, you can slot that right in. I know from a personal experience, but uh, if you want to sign up for a year with Squarespace, you will get your custom domain name for a year for free. They have beautiful templates. Uh, You can design a really amazing site with their award-winning setups that they already have, and you can customize them. And it's so simple and easy. They have seamless commerce tools. So if you are building your website with the desire to make money and monetize some skill or thing that you have, you absolutely can do that as well. And they make it super simple to integrate. Squarespace offers 24-7 customer support. So you can reach out to them online and they will get back to you. They are super nice. I can tell you from experience, every member of their customer care team knows what they are talking about. And they really know the service and the software inside and out. So they are going to get your problem solved lickety-split. Uh, basically, you can start your free trial of all of this wonderment today at Squarespace.com. Just enter the offer code HISTORY to get 10% off your first purchase. That is Squarespace.com. Enter offer code HISTORY. And you will be able to set your website apart. We spoke right before the break about two other conscientious objectors who have also been awarded the Medal of Honor. And both of them received that honor for work as medics in Vietnam. The first was Thomas W. Bennett of Morgantown, West Virginia. His military records didn't list a denominational preference, but sources suggest that he was raised either Methodist or Southern Baptist. Regardless, he attended the services of multiple denominations, and he came to a sincerely held belief that all life was sacred. He also vehemently objected to the United States' involvement in the Vietnam War specifically.
0: Bennett was drafted during that involvement in Vietnam. And after he lost his student deferment due to poor grades at West Virginia University, he wound up registering as a conscientious objector who was willing to serve in a non-combat role. He became a medic and was eventually deployed to Vietnam. On February 9th of
1: 1969, his his platoon there was ambushed. In the words of his Medal of Honor citation, quote, Corporal Bennett, with complete disregard for his safety, ran through the heavy fire to his fallen comrades, administered life-saving first aid under fire, and then made repeated trips carrying the wounded men to positions of relative safety from which they would be medically evacuated from the battle position. Corporal Bennett repeatedly braved the intense enemy fire moving across open areas to give aid and comfort to his wounded comrades. He valiantly exposed himself to the heavy fire in order to retrieve the bodies of several fallen personnel.
0: Then, as the whole platoon was awaiting for helicopters to rescue the injured men, he spent the night outside the safety of any kind of shelter, tending to wounded people who couldn't be moved.
1: On February 11th, a similar event happened again when the platoon came under sniper fire. And once again, Bennett put himself at risk repeatedly to try to aid the wounded, including an attempt to save a fellow soldier who had fallen ahead of the company's position. Even though he was warned that the fallen soldier would be impossible to reach given where he was in the amount of enemy fire, Bennett tried anyway, and he was mortally wounded in the process. He was posthumously awarded the Medal of Honor on April 7th of 1970, which would have been his 23rd birthday.
0: The third conscientious objector to be awarded the Medal of Honor was Specialist War Joseph G. LaPointe, Jr., and there's not as much biographical information that's publicly available on him. Army records, though, identified him as a Baptist.
1: On June 2nd of 1969, the patrol he was on fell under heavy enemy fire. He rendered aid while under fire to two injured soldiers, and to do so, he had to crawl directly into the line of sight of an enemy bunker. He resorted to shielding the two fallen men with his own body, but all three were killed by an enemy grenade.
0: In addition to his Medal of Honor, LaPointe was also posthumously awarded the Silver Star. He was survived by his wife, Cindy, and his son, also named Joseph, who was unfortunately born after his father's death. And that's a little bit about conscience objection
1: and conscientious objectors. Now that I'm all good and choked up, would you like to read me some listener mail?
0: (laughs) Sure, I do have some listener mail. And actually, this this listener mail is pretty lighthearted. Yay! Uh, to bring us up from a lot of wartime death, which, uh, I don't know, you and I both have family members who are in the service, and some of that can be emotionally emotional. I'll just put it that way. It can be emotional. Yep. So, uh, this is from Charlene. Charlene wrote to us about our Harriet Tubman episodes, and she says, I'm a student at Salisbury University, which is located in Wacomico County, Maryland. Wacomico County borders Tubman's native Dorchester County. In 2009, SU unveiled a statue of Tubman on campus that was sculpted by one of our art professors, Dr. James K. Hill. The university's website describes it as follows. Quote, Hill's sculpture depicts Tubman walking through a Dorchester County marsh, looking behind with her hand outstretched to those whom she is leading to freedom. With her are two companions, a saw-wet owl and a rabbit looking ahead. According to Hill, they symbolize two aspects of Tubman. One is a freedom fighter, the wide-eyed owl, owl seeking slaves to liberate. The saw owl owl uh, lives in the swamps of the Mid-Atlantic seaboard, but migrates to Canada each year, just as Tubman did. The other is the rabbit, which traditionally represents vigilance, intuition, and forward progress despite fear. This burrowing animal goes underground, symbolizing Tubman's role as a conductor, the Underground Railroad. Hill's rabbit is alert, just as Tubman was ever alert. I think that is also part of the quoted material. So then Charlene continues, When I first saw the statue, I had a different interpretation. Harriet is depicted with one arm outstretched. Her other hand holds her skirt. She isn't wearing that pair of bloomer pants. The rabbit is at her feet and the owl is on her shoulder. Her mouth is open as if she is calling to someone. I looked at the statue, turned to my friend and said, her mouth is open like she's singing and woodland animals have come to her. I had no idea that Harriet Tubman was a Disney princess. (laughs) Uh, And then she sends some links of bigger pictures and more of of Dr. Hill's work and an article about the statue and says, sincerely, Charlene. Okay, so I want to stress this is a lovely statue. I like it a lot. It does, it, it does indeed have like a Disney princess quality. So now I kind of want, maybe it would be more like rejected princesses. I hope our listeners are all familiar with rejected princesses. Uh, but yes, it does have a slightly Disney heroine about to burst into song. Uh, look about it. We will put a link to it from
1: the show notes. That would be sort of a cool Disney movie, I think.
0: I can't, well, especially given Given the slow progression of Disney's princess heroines, yeah, uh, over the last several years, I I could see maybe not specifically Harriet Tubman, but like I could see that being uh, a princess role. Anyway. If you would like to write to us about this or any other podcast, we history podcast at howstuffworks.com. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash missed in history and on Twitter at missed history. Our Tumblr is missed We're also on Pinterest at pinterest.com slash missed in history and our Instagram is at missed in history. Uh, if you would like to Come, if you'd like to learn more about what we've talked about today, you can come to our parent company's website, which is HowStuffWorks.com, and put the word draft in the search bar. You will learn about how the U.S. draft works, which includes some information about conscious, conscience objection and uh, what people have to do in the United States to be registered as conscience, conscientious objectors. So you don't just basically walk up and say, I object and then get exempt from everything. That's not how it works. Uh, You can also come to our website, which is MissedInHistory.com, and find show notes for all the episodes Holly and I have ever done. We will have the links to the thing about the statue in this one. Um, There's an archive of every episode we've ever done, some other cool stuff. So you can do all that and a whole lot more at HowStuffWorks.com or MissedInHistory.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.
2: Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: I'm Johnny B. Good, the host of the podcast Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. This podcast dives deep into the story of Ray Trapani and his company, Centratech. I'll explore how 320-somethings built a company out of lies, deceit, and greed. I've been saying since a very young age that I was going to be a millionaire.
2: If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme.
0: Listen to Creating a Con, the story of BitCon, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: I am the ferryman.
1: In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me?
2: Are you death?